0: Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially dependent. My name is Beko and my partner, Hari. Hello. Uh, Today, in this episode, we will talk about Five Below, uh, a company that was suggested to us by one of our dear listeners um, and an active member of the Slack community. Uh, So we'll talk about this, we'll talk about this company in this episode. Before we do that, Hari, give us a disclaimer.
1: Yeah, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We're a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. <clears throat> and uh, we are not financial advisors, nor are we tax advisors. So um, if you're making any financial decisions, um, please make uh, consult with the appropriate advisor before doing so.
0: Great. Um, before we start the discussion about Below, maybe we should highlight a few things about about our Slack community, the checklist, and things like that. So I'll just uh, go over that really quickly, Hari. So as you guys probably know at this point, we every time we value a company, we go through a checklist. Um, and the checklist is available for you guys also. As you guys follow along to our podcast, you can also go through the checklist yourself. That way you can compare notes uh, with, with your notes and our notes. So a checklist is available. Just email us at info at valueinvestor.org, info at valueinvestor.org. And if you'd like to be part of the Slack community, I mentioned earlier, Slack community is where you can come uh, online and uh, you can chat with us directly and also engage with the rest of the rest of the community. So if you'd like to do that, also email us at info at valueinvestor.org. All right, Hari, uh, let's get started with our checklist items. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, this is a company that was suggested to us. So if you guys have companies that you guys have in mind, you know, definitely send us, uh, send those our way. So we will put them in our backlog and and go through them. Um, So let's just get started here. So the first question off the bat, what does the company do? And you gave me a hard time for this. (laughs) You should be able to, you should be able to explain this, answer this question in less than two sentences. So let's see how you do with this one. Okay.
1: They sell stuff. <laughs> Next question.
0: <laughs> sell stuff. Next question.
1: Um, yeah. So Five Below is a uh, retailer that targets uh, the demographic of age 5 to 19 um, and beyond, as they say, um, with items that are priced uh, originally at $5 and below and now $10 and below. Uh, with a high turnover rate of their items along with a high uh seasonality uh of the the items that they sell um so the the idea behind this store is kind of um as they put it allow customers to let go and have fun um and you know their their pricing is such that the their target demographic um who they say has a uh uh a lot of disposable income because most of their needs are already met by their parents or, uh, you know, you know, the, yeah, by their parents. Um, all of their cash is, is spending money, quote unquote. So they're coming in to buy items that are, you know, uh, at a, at affordable prices, um, and you know, frequently visit the store.
0: So personally, I lived in Midwest and then Texas. Now in California, I haven't personally seen them. Are they? Geographically, are they kind of isolated to a particular segment of the of the of the U.S.? Yeah, so
1: they've they have stores in California, but most of their stores are Midwest, Southeast, uh, and Northeast. So um, they haven't really penetrated the Northwest uh, market yet, um, and the only real stores are in California. So everything else, there's kind of a big gap uh, as you go west of Texas. Um, I personally have shopped there several times, um, taking my kids there and there's lots of, um, you know, they have a a wide assortment of things, toys, candy, um, tech stuff, um, you know, drawing crayons, you know, things for arts and crafts. Um, so, you know, it kind of, it's, it's a, you know, a, a wide variety of things that they cover. Um, and they put them in these, uh, categories, style, room, sports, tech, Create Party Candy and Now are the the eight uh, categories that they have. Um, so it's a you know it's a, it's a broad arrangement of stuff, and most of their stuff, um, you know, it's it's because it's five dollars and below. It's you know, there's seems to be like a, you know, you can go in and easily kind of load up on things, you know. So you're not you know you have this discount mentality, and you know in the in the midst of a recession or uh, pandemic like this, uh, like, like we're in right now, um, you know, they, they seemingly have a, uh, you know, it's not a big burden to shop there. So it's not a luxury, uh, kind of item. Um, and, and, yeah. and they do have an e-commerce presence, but most of it is physical.
0: So I see we'll get to this kind of more in detail about the competitive advantage and how they compare to kind of different, um, you know, when I heard about this company first, I thought about Dollar Tree, Dollar General, kind of that kind of store. But we'll get to that in a minute um, as we talk about competitive advantage. So uh, the second question in the checklist is Does the company have a competitive advantage? Describe them in the categories below. So we'll go through these one by one and um, get your opinion on that. So, first is brand. Do they have a competitive advantage from the perspective of brand?
1: So I think so. Um, you know, the 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 thing that makes them kind of competitive, I would say, is that, um, you know, they claim that their demographic is a a plus, And I didn't really think about it this way. But, you know, the teen and tween market, all of their needs are basically met, you know, food and all that stuff. So everything that they have is basically disposable income, right, for the, the vast majority of that. Um, And there's 62 million people that fit that demographic. Um, And so, you know, kids will be able to take their spending money and go there and buy, you know, things. And, you know, there's a wide variety and assortment of things. And, you know, we're coming up on the Easter uh, holiday right now. And they if they were open, I would imagine they have a lot of Easter candy, Easter elements. So I think there's two things that make that brand kind of competitive right is there, there's always a new assortment of items in the store um and all of the items that are in the store are uh you know they, they kind of put a kind of a hip vibe in the store you know they play music and they have um you know items that are kind of seasonal and stuff uh, up front so that they you know when you walk into the store you're hit with uh, most of the time i've walked into the store it's been you know they have sports balls and things like that um so that you're kind of, you know, kind of have this immediacy of, oh, that'll be fun to play with, or that'll be cool to look at, you know, kind of thing. So, the store is pretty well, you know, um, you know, and and they they claim that their competitive advantage is that their executive team is uh, very very well versed in um, uh, the retail space. That they know a lot about retail and how you know how to attract people and build a brand. Um, so, and, and they say that that leads to a high loyalty amongst their customers. And I've shopped there multiple times. And I would say many times when I do go to look for certain items, you know, for my kids or something like that, um, you know, that's kind of where I go. So there's nothing there that you couldn't buy on say Amazon or some other place, but there's a lot of kind of discovery when you walk into the store that you're like, oh, that's, an interesting thing. I wouldn't, you know, have sought out. Uh, and, and then you kind of make a lot of impulse purchases when you walk in. So maybe you go there to buy, you know, Easter candy, and then you walk out with a t-shirt and a cell phone case and something else. So hmm. not unlike the, the target kind of model, right? I went to target to buy laundry detergent and I walked out with $300 worth of crap, right? It's, it's not, all that different from that so yeah um, and i think i would lump all of that into brand but i wouldn't say that it's necessarily the strongest you know moat right um the so i think that's 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 one thing you know that they have in their favor is brand Mm.
0: yeah it is interesting especially when you talk about that demographic particular um, who might be more sensitive to brand equity of a company than other demographic for example right yeah um, so it certainly does play a role here. Um, it sounds like brand does. So let's move on to the next uh, category, which is network effects. Um, any network effects here?
1: Not that I can think of. I, I mean, I don't see anything here that other kids would kind of take, the, you know, go there because their ki- their friends are going there. I don't see that. And They're not really selling anything that's kind of unique to them um, that makes you want to shop there because other people are shopping there. So I I don't see that.
0: Okay. And then the third is switching cost, any switching costs from going to Buy Below versus going to Dollar Tree or Dollar General or Target.
1: Well, I do think that they have different demographics. Um and you know, they're in their mind they compete with mall-based, you know, stores, they compete with discount retailers, they compete with Sporting goods, places. Um, if if I were to say they... I mean, I, Five Below almost reminds me of a little bit of Tractor Supply in that you can go to Tractor Supply and get everything that you need in one place. And if you were to go looking for stuff elsewhere, you would have to go to three or four different stores, right? And so Five Below is kind of like that, but it's mostly things that you don't actually need. It's just kind of fun stuff. Right. So um, but there you know, there's hardly any stores that are selling candy, you know, tech stuff, you know, cell phone chargers and T-shirts in the same place. Right. That's not a huge giant like store like Target or, you know, Walmart. So um, and and they also focus on a lower price point. So it helps mentally people are going to say, well, I'm never spending more than five dollars when I go there, even though I'm buying five or six items that are five dollars each right Mm.
0: so maybe just to recap that so it sounds like the assortment of products they offer in one you know one-stop shop but assortment of products is uniquely unique products but you know offering in the same store and also the price point sounds like a pretty interesting value proposition for customer
1: yeah and i i I would say that they're like when you look at Dollar General, one of their biggest advantages is that people, they they position themselves such that if you were trying to go to the grocery store or going to Walmart to pick up your stuff, you could stop in Dollar General and avoid a long trip, you know, long car ride to Walmart, right? I don't necessarily get that sense with Five Below. Like if I didn't go to Five Below for two months, I'd be fine, right? It It's not a... It doesn't end my um, like. The, it isn't the destination in of in and of itself, right? Um, like I, I may end up still needing to go to Target, even if I go to Five Below, or I still may need to go to other places, right? And I'm not trying to think like a you know an adult. I'm trying to think like a teen, and in that case, you know, it may be more like a destination, right? And I w- I don't want them. I don't want people to get the impression that this is just. A store for kids under the age of twenty, right? You know, five to nineteen is what they they say. I mean, they do have kids. They do have adults also who shop there for convenience or they're shopping for their children, right? So, uh, sure. Um, but I, I do get the sense that there is some. There, there is, if there are switching costs, it's it's very 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 small, you know.
0: Yeah. Let's let's move on to let's continue our discussion with this checklist. Uh, I think you brought up a, a few good points here uh, about price, the demographic, um, kind of the brand around that. So let's just go down the list here. Uh, low cost? Do they have low cost competitive advantage?
1: No, but I do think that there's a interesting component to that, which is. Um, they do buy some closeout merchandise, some sale merchandise that allows them to get a better discount. Um, and they they do cite buyers their buying ability to being able to uh, address some of that. And I, I that kind of reminds me of like the TJ Maxx and Ross stores model, where <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know they they are able to either make get clothes that are specifically designed for that kind of store. Um, so that they're all able to offer, you know, a shirt or something like that, and and Five Below does do some of that. Um, one of the things that is interesting is, you know, they claim as their store base expands, they will get better economies of scales with their vendors and their distributors, and then that they would be able to lower their price point. So I would say at this point they don't have a low cost advantage, um, but they do. They could could have one in the future.
0: Okay, Good to know. Obviously, yeah, cost will go down with scale. And, you know, it sounds like from what you said, they don't quite have the scale of bigger retailers to provide that sort of competitive advantage at this point. So let's move on to the last, which is intangible assets. I think we touched on some of that in our previous discussion, talking about competitive advantage. do you have anything here in terms of intangible assets as a competitive advantage?
1: So they cite their executive team and their buying merchandising officer, you know, uh, and in fact they incentivize their some of their executives based on in- inventory turnover. Um, and I mean their financials are very good in terms of growth and same store sales and things like that. I'm not thoroughly convinced though that um, that that's like a, a true intangible asset that somebody else couldn't replicate, right? If I were to hire that person away and just pay them a little more money, would I be able to replicate their buying ca- you know, capability? Um, that being said, <clears throat> I do think that, um, you know, it, the retail environment that we operate in right now is super competitive. Um, and it... it you know, if you look at a company um, like you look at clothing uh, companies right now and if they have a bad season in terms of their merchandising and things like that, it is a you know, they hemorrhage cash. Right. And so you have to be kind of careful with these businesses and monitor them closely because like a company like Walmart, it doesn't matter as much. Right. You're not a niche retailer. You're not targeting a specific demographic. Walmart is like. Stacking them cheap and selling them deep, right? Um, stacking them deep and selling them cheap. Thank you for butchering that. Um, <clears throat> so five below has to be in touch with what is going on with their customer base, um, because if the if the teen market, which is very fickle, you know, changes their tune, then you know they they may miss out, right? And sometimes the customers don't come back, you know, especially if there's a new place to go. So,
0: yeah. I think I think as you were talking about that, there was a company that you and I both very well know, and I think you were thinking about that company. I also. was, yes. Yeah, Francesca. Right. Uh, so Francesca is a good example kind of of that, where um I let you guys kind of look into it, but it's a company that's based out of Houston. Uh um and uh you know they missed they missed a season and it really did did it did a number on their on their finances and the future so um, any sort of retail of this size targeting specific demographic that needs to be really followed closely in terms of inventory level and merchandising and, and things of that sort. I also was thinking about Stein uh, Steinmark yep um, so Steinmarked, Francesca. Um, obviously, there is a huge um, headwind in terms of retail, just any any brick and mortar retail, generally speaking. That also plays a plays 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 a huge role into this. But uh, having a close eye on actual merchandising and the turnover and the inventory management, I think those things are very important to look into if you want to play in the retail space as an investor.
1: Yeah. I think that is that is definitely the case. You have to be very careful about these kind of businesses cuz um they can turn on a dime and, you know, and that that makes me think that there's less of a moat here than um you know, a company like Walmart, they're going to have shoppers regardless. Dollar General is going to have shoppers because you know, they're selling them, you know, at a low cost, right? And <clears throat> you know, when you have a large store, you have you're not selling things that people are constantly re- replenishing right um i mean imagine for 5 below right now parents are going to be out of work their kids are going to have a lot less disposable income you know what does that do to 5, Five below's customer base well i think it's going to shred them right I, I mean i i don't see why kids are going to come back to the store if their parents are struggling or if there's Their people are out of work or teens are going to be also out of work um, and they'll have less spending money. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that um, I'm not saying that it it won't, uh, you know, that it'll go to zero. But I, I do think like right now, things are going to be very tough for them.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting paradox here that you point out, which is that the demographic that they're targeting was very attractive for the very reason that it can be very detrimental, right? In that, the the demographic that we're targeting here is attractive because they have disposable income, right? The, all their money is disposable income. Yet at the same time, the flip side of that is, it is very detrimental to business and downturn because all of their income, all of their spending is not essential. So they're going to cut back on that. So yep, um, it's a it's a uh, uh, double sided. Uh, what what's the what's the saying? I forgot. <laughs> Double edged sword. sword. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's move on from that and talk about the next um, question, which is: Does how durable is the competitive advantage, and what are the risks to the current competitive advantage? I think we touched on some of that, but if we could just summarize that here quickly, Hari.
1: I think it's pretty weak. I mean, I, I'm not discounting the loyalty and all of the things that the company has said exist, I think that the, um, you know, you looked at their same store sales growth, um, and in 2019, it kind of shrunk. It was, I mean, it was, by 0.6%, I think. So, you know, after being 3% and a little bit higher, um, you know, same store sales is kind of the, the marker of a retail business's success. um, and you you look at dollar general and i think in 25 years or something crazy they've had like one quarter or two quarters of negative same store sales growth um you know so i i do think that five below despite their claim uh to having that that store base i mean it's it's going to be negative 15 or 20% if not more uh for q2 of uh, 2020 versus 2019 and i mean i I expect pain in the q three as well you know um yeah. that that being said you know it 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 all depends on how quickly the customer c- consumer uh rebounds you know when the job market opens up back back again and most states uh go back to work, you know how quickly does that happen and how much does this stimulus really get people going back you know i i think that's gonna yeah. be a big part of it,
0: yeah. And as we always talk about, risk is associated with how much price you pay for the business and for a company like this, where there doesn't seem to be a strong competitive advantage, you can mitigate that by paying very little for this company. And we'll get to that in the second episode in terms of valuation. So let's move on to the next question, which is, uh, Does how? what are the company's long-term prospects and runway for growth?
1: So the company had... Um... And February 2020 had 900 stores that were open, um, and they they claim that they can have 2,500 stores across the United States. They're already in 33 states, so I imagine the expansion will include going to new states, but also um, uh, expansion inside their um, uh, you know their existing places. So, you know, when I started shopping there. I think the first time I went there, I actually wasn't even in my, you know, in Houston where I live. Um, I just found it in Austin when I was visiting and, you know, I thought it was a neat place. Um, and then since then I've, I think there are now three stores within 15 minutes, you know, of me. Um, so it, it is, it is cropped up more frequently. Um, I think they have to be careful, you know, that, um, you know, you want to be close, but you don't want to be too close to each other to to cannibalize your own uh, store. Um, So I think they have a fairly large runway for growth. um, And they've now, one of the initiatives that they did, you know, obviously the name of the company is Five Below, which I thought that had something to do with them selling like frozen stuff or something like that when I initially, (laughs) but um, it actually has to do with their price, obviously. Uh, But they now added a category in 2020 uh, for $10 and below. Um, so, I, I'm interested to see how that impacts sales. If that brings in new items, you know, the stores are relatively small. I think they're about 75 to 8,500 8, square feet, um, which is not huge, but it's, it's like a mid sized, you know, kind of store. Um, you know, there isn't a whole lot of room to sell more items. So, I wonder if the $10 price point. Is higher margin or or not, and that's that's going to be interesting to watch um, going forward. But yeah, I think the the same store sales growth has not been great, and you know I, if it were like three, four, five percent consistently, I would be much more comfortable. Uh, but it's kind of slowed down a little bit, and uh, so a lot of their growth is going to be um, growth through new store sales, right? Uh, so. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about profitability um you know they they are a pretty profitable business but what i find interesting is there in, in order for them to grow their equity base has to grow accordingly too right it, it, and so they're just like any retail store they're going to be tied very heavily to their equity base um and you know they've taken on debt recently to to do that so we can talk about that um some more when we talk about profitability
0: Okay great, so it sounds like just to summarize uh sounds like there there are there is uh quite decent runway for growth uh, in terms of the profitability and capital efficiency. some question marks uh, there yeah okay, let's move on to the next question. Does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? Can it grow without any further reinvestment
1: so um You know, we look at this in terms of, you know, um, what does it take to maintain their business? Right. And last week we talked about Carnival, um, cruise lines, which, uh, by the way, bumped a lot after we recorded the podcast. So if you're just listening (laughs) to this, you know, you're like, Becco, you just ruined it for me. Like I was going to ready to (laughs) buy. And then, you know, all, all 8 million of our listeners just went in and bought it. So, um, no, but it, it, uh. You know, asset heavy businesses have to spend a lot of money to maintain their business, right? A company like this, the interesting part about retail is, you know, you typically have 30 days to buy um, your goods, um, you know, to pay your distributor. So if you sell your items in 30 days, um, you can actually, uh, if you if you have a very high acceleration of your sell through... Um, you basically have to pay nothing to sell an item, right? Um, you essentially get, get cash from your customer, take that and pay back your supplier. Um, you know, and, and I think Five Below has some benefit there. There's, there's some benefit to that, uh, because of their high sell through rate. Uh, Costco is kind of the, the king of this. You know, they get actually a longer term to pay them back 90 days. Um, anyway, the, the idea here is, um, you know, when you're trying to sell through uh you know, with a business like, like five below the the you you have some capital that you have to put in. But I what I found interesting was it it costs only three hundred thousand dollars for them to start a new store and that includes the inventory that they have. And if you think about it, you know, bubblegum and candy and stuff like that, you know, you can buy a lot of you know of of $5 goods for, um, you know, $300,000, right? So you can stock your inventory pretty quickly and you get your company up and running. Uh, you know, so what does it take to actually maintain their stores? Well, not a whole lot if you really think about it, right? It's, it's a, you know, you know, they have linoleum floors, they have a, um, you know, they have to do some maintenance and upgrades, you know, to clean and, you know, do that kind of stuff. Um, but it doesn't really take a whole lot uh, to do that. So they do spend some on capital expenditure, but um, it's not a whole lot. So
0: is just, just curious 300,000 for a single store to be up and running from scratch. And does that include both the variable and fixed cost here, or is it yeah. just talking about inventory?
1: So it's inventory plus a uh, build out. So you have to do the, the build out, which is uh uh, you know, one-time uh, cost. And then um, it includes other items there. Um, you know, most landholder, leaseholders will give you some allotment of cash uh, when you do a five-year rental um, to to do some of this. So they said all of this is net that. So I I have a feeling they, they have like a pretty strict, you know, requirement when they approach a land uh, landlord and say, I need these things and I need this much, you know, to pay it off so that they can keep their their $300,000. Um so it includes net tenant allowances, inventory and cash for pre uh, the cash used for pre-opening expenses, which I imagine is we have to hire people, we have to get a manager, you know, so they're you know but the manager probably has to be hired uh a month or two before the store even opens so that, you know, so there's there's some expenses with that. And then obviously they have to go and find, you know, somebody, so they may have a commercial real estate person, you know, that kind of stuff. Um Yeah. So yeah, this is a three hundred thousand dollars is not a whole lot of money when you consider that in the first year um, they have sales of 1.8 million.
0: so wow yeah that's that's pretty good, huh? yeah okay, so love to dig into more of that um, when we get to when we get to the financials uh, part uh, but uh, let's let's move on to the next question. Does the business have favorable relationships with the following customers? How does it? How does it look uh, in terms of customer relationship here?
1: Yeah, I don't see any red flags in any of these categories. Um, uh, customers definitely, you know, nothing there. So
0: okay. So customers, suppliers, employees, regulators, and communities. This really question is really about raising any red flags, like you mentioned, and sounds like um, everything's green light here.
1: Yeah. So the only, you know, none of their vendors account for more than 7% of revenue. So, uh, and I don't think any of their vendors would ever pull out. I'm not seeing anything here that really strikes me as concerning. Their employees are not unionized. Um, You know, they don't have any regulatory things that they, other than the normal labor kind of regulatory stuff. So, not really anything to be worried about
0: okay great awesome um thank you for that hari we'll stop there for this episode and we'll get to the financials management and valuation in the next episode so please stay tuned and as i mentioned earlier in the episode if you guys have questions about specific companies you guys want us to review specific companies Please email us with that information at info at valueinvestor.org. And if you'd like a copy of this checklist, also email us to that same email address, info at valueinvestor.org. All right. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks.